If you have a Bible with you this morning, you can turn to Galatians chapter 3. If you were here last week, I'll give you a quick rundown. Basically, Paul, the apostle, gave us his uh, personal history, uh, just his personal journey, where he started life as a religious fanatic. He was a Jew, so he was, he was a religious fanatic there. And he went from that to having a real relationship with Jesus. And so he wanted to back up and tell us that because it matters for us today. And most of the time when we read the Bible, that is our issue. We, uh, we consider that the things that were written 2,000 years ago just don't have a lot of bearing on us today. And Paul is trying to tell us in the book of Galatians that's just not the case. And that uh, the things that were, uh, you know, from back in those days, the ideas uh, of religion versus relationship, they still matter today. So uh, he starts here in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So after two chapters of telling us history, he comes to his point. It's a good, it's a good message for us today. He says, uh, looking back at this, the word bewitched. Who has bewitched you? Only time this word used in the Bible uh, is right here. The word means charmed or hypnotized. Uh, he's like, charmed or hypnotized. Well, who's the who? You always want to ask that. Uh, In this case, the who is the Orthodox Jewish crowd. In other words, the super religious. But I want to tell you today, the reason this is in the Bible is not just to tell us about how the evil Jews, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago did something. There's there's a case point here, a case study that has gone on for 2,000 years as the church you know the Dark Ages? If you go through history, you learn of the, the Middle Ages, Dark Ages. Why were they dark? You know, everybody, I remember asking my mom that in grade school. So was it just like gray over there? I mean, like what was the problem? Well, the Dark Ages, what it was, was a spiritual darkness that fell over Europe. And the reason is because the Bible circulated in early church times. Handwritten a lot of times, but it circulated. In uh, the, the year 330, uh, the Roman Catholics began picking the Bible up. In fact, they made it an excommunicable offense if you owned a Bible. And they took up all copies of the Bible you could read. They redistributed Latin Bibles. No one spoke Latin. Do you know anybody who speaks Latin? Uh, no one ever spoke Latin. That's the, that's the problem. The Romans spoke what was called a vulgar Latin, it's not wasn't vulgar, but it was just uh, <laughs> vulgar Latin. Uh, so th- they spoke uh, that around, uh, you know, with the Roman peoples, and as that it, it went around. However, most of the Romans they spoke Greek. So even then, uh, unless you were trained within the church, you couldn't read the Bible. Dark Ages. Can you imagine if in today's world, if the Bible was no more? I mean, just if the Bible was gone. All those nice Instagram posts would be gone. Um, but uh, it would, you would be in a darkness, and you would really feel a lot like probably Joseph felt way back in the day. You remember Joseph when he was captive uh, and taken to Egypt, and uh, remember he was uh, thrown in the pit and his brothers sold him and all that. And he shows up in Egypt, this is B.C., before Christ, and it was also before the Bible. He didn't have a youth group. He didn't have... Uh, he didn't have his pocket Bible to refer to when he was in the dungeon and going through everything he went through, yet it says he stayed true to the Lord. When, when you know, Potiphar's wife came after him hard, and uh, you know, he didn't have groups and support groups and all this other, he said, I can't sin in front of God. Look it up in Genesis. He said, I, I can't do this great sin in front of God to sleep with another man's wife. I'm not going to do it. He had no Bible. That's a strong faith right there. Very strong faith. 
to realize that God was there, and he did all of that on what he was told verbally. No Bible. Um, we wouldn't do so well, I dare say, today. We need the Word of God. So here he's saying this word is, you know, you're bewitched, you're charmed or hypnotized by something. The who is this Orthodox Jewish crowd, and he says uh, you don't obey the truth in verse 1, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. In other words, you were clearly told about Jesus. So what's the message of chapter 3? Well, we're going to get to the main verse here in verse 3. He says again, are you so foolish? If you don't get anything else today, just this, this one verse, is uh, it can be life-changing, truly, if you understand it. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Now, go with me on this. Most of us in here today, we've probably known the Lord for some time. There might be a few new Christians. Some of you might just be here wondering about it. But most of you, if you've known the Lord for a while, you have to really stop and think back to the time when you came to the Lord. What kind of person were you? You probably would say you didn't want to know me back then. Probably not. You didn't want to know me before I was walking with the Lord. Um, but it says you began in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, here's what happens to all of us, okay? We go through our life and we come to an extremely low place where we realize we cannot do this on our own. We've tried. We tried to be a good person. I, I did when I was in high school. I tried. You can ask my mom. I failed. Um, you know, I, we can't do good on our own. And, and what happens is you come to the ends of yourself. You come to the end of what you can do. When you're, you know, a teenager, a lot of times you think you own the world. When you're 18, you think you're going to go out and turn the world upside down. And then a few years later, you learn the world turned you upside down. It just, it eats us up. And you come to the end of yourself, and then you turn to Jesus and you say, no, in all of our paths to get there are different. But you turn to Jesus and you say, I need the blood of Jesus Christ in my life to cover me because I'm a, I'm a sinner and I'm willing to try this one last thing. And if you think back, we've all got a story along those lines. And he says, and, and so his idea is, you began in the Spirit. Are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? So you started by admitting you needed Jesus, and now you're going to get religious on me. And you're going to say, well, it's by a lot of rules and regulations. Remember the story from last week where Peter came up, and he was trying to... to uh, well, he went into the kosher, and we talked all about their kosher food laws back in the day. Same thing applies to the laws that we have today in the church on can you wear a red dress? Uh, can you uh, drink? Can you, you know, party? Can you dance? Can you do all of these different things? So we start honing in on the rules, and we forget about Jesus. And we say, well, if you're a really a good little Christian, then you won't do certain things, or you will do certain things. And by this, you know that you're really a Christian and you're, you're going the right way and on and on people go. Well, he's saying you began in the Spirit, though. You began while you were still doing all of those things in the world. You came to the Lord and said, I need Jesus because none of it's working. So now you're going to continue to get to heaven on your works? He says, are you so foolish? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain, he says in verse 4. Um, what he's talking about there, the churches in the area of Galatia, where he wrote Galatians 2, Turkey, uh, several churches up there, they had endured a lot of persecution uh, from the Jews uh, early on. So he says, you suffered all these things. Did you suffer it in vain? Because you stood up and said, we don't have to do all these rules and regulations. We can just believe in Jesus. If now you're starting to, to go for works-based salvation, all that was in vain. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So he says, if we're saved by faith, then we're held by faith, and we're going to arrive in heaven by our faith. And this really this means a lot. And, and I tell you, the, the longer that you live, you know, if this message today he's like, it doesn't impact me, it will one day. Because even for us Christians, here's what happens. 
uh, Galatians 6, 1, it talks about restoring somebody who, fall, who falls away. So if you've recently come to the Lord and you're saying, oh, not me, you know, I've got this figured out. Uh, I, I, I came to the Lord, I put my faith in Him, and all of that stuff about getting involved in the laws, and I, that, that'll never happen to me. It will happen to you. And what's going to happen is you're going to fail yourself by your own laws. It happens to all of us. Well, you, if you say, well, I'm not going to do such and such because I think that's wrong. We have, the, we have things in the church today that, that just split Christianity apart. Drinkings for one. Uh, you look across America, half of the Christians currently would say, drinking a beer. Mm. It's hell for you. The other half of Christianity would say, well, you can do whatever you want. There's a few in the middle. I say, well, you can drink, but don't get drunk. What is it? Well, here's the problem. As soon as you decide that you're going to make a rule, sometimes not even based out of the word. Sometimes I've noticed it's just your rule. And then you can't live by it. You get sort of hacked off at yourself. And then the next thing you do is you come over to my house or to one of your houses and you say, you need to start looking like me. Because if I'm going to be miserable, you are too. And so we start spreading the misery around. And when I run into one of these kind of Christians, you know, the first thing I want to say is, where is that rule in the Bible? Point that out to me, because there, are, there is right and wrong for sure. Other things are legalistic rules. Paul's saying, quit dumping these legalistic rules. I, I have some friends, they're into uh, Judaism, the modern day, they would call it the Hebrew movement. And uh, it's so funny how it begins because those people always start by coming to church on Sunday. The next thing you know, usually the first thing that happens is they are indoctrinated to think, I have to keep the Sabbath. That's Saturday. So now I've got to take off work and keep the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath's different from Sunday. You know, Sunday's kind of a day off. You know, you go to church, you go home, and, you know, you're probably lazy this afternoon, most of you. But that's fine. You know, people nap or watch a movie or go do a hobby or whatever, that, you know, they've got going. But not so if you're into the Sabbath. You have to keep the Sabbath. So from sun up to sundown, you're, or actually it's Friday night at 6 to 6 o'clock on Saturday, you've got to keep the Sabbath. That means you can't travel too far from your home. That means that uh, you can't work. And then, uh, you know, and I shared previously the funny story about my mom when we went to Israel getting on the Sabbath elevator. Uh, you, and the whole point of that story, she got on, on an upper level and it stops every level because you can't push buttons. Why? Because some Jew decided that's work. Um, they've got phone apps that work for Jews over there. So that now with smartphones, because, you know, as technology comes, you've got to reinvent things. Um, it's against the law for a Jew currently to turn on a uh, cell phone device if you're an Orthodox Jew. So you have to have an app that opens and closes on its own. So their phone must look like it's nuts, you know. But uh, I think it's crazy. You might think it's crazy. But you see, when you start on one thing and you decide, I've got to keep the Sabbath, my, my friends decided to do that. The next thing that you know uh, you know, you're not supposed to travel so far from the house on the Sabbath. Oh, we forgot about that. Got to put that law in. And, uh, you know, when asked, well, what about all the rest of the laws? Because you have you ever read in James, if you break one law, you're guilty of them all. Like, well, I, you know, I don't know about that. Well, you might want to think about it. If you're a legalistic person, you might want to think about all the laws. I prefer the grace of Christ. I mess up. I'm a Christian and I sin. And I've gotten really comfortable with praying and asking forgiveness. Now, Romans kicks in here, and I, I have to say this. We don't sin more so God can forgive more. But, because uh, some Christians go, oh, well, I'll just sin more, and that way God can forgive more. But no, no. But when I do sin, I'm, I simply ask for forgiveness and I go on. And it free, it's freeing. It's very freeing indeed. Now, he says, uh, verse 6, and he's going to give us some, some, uh, uh, some thoughts on these things. Just as Abraham, he says, example, believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, in Paul's day, they're running around, they're quoting Moses and the law of Moses. So Paul, being a very smart Jew, he says, what about Abraham? 
Remember in, in Genesis, Abraham predates the law. And, you know, a little background on Abraham. He was from a place called Ur of the Chaldees. And when he was growing up, his father's name was Terah. And he was in there in Ur, an idol builder. So Abraham, I know this is breaking your hearts. You're like, Abraham? Yeah, he grew up probably whittling on idols. Okay. And um, one day God called him out of that called him and said, I want to take you to a place I'm going to show you. And Abraham, by faith, left her and started following God. And I would put this out there for you today, that he was always following and trying to catch God, the same way that we are. It's by faith. Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham. Not because he knew. Not because he was so good. And that's, a, that's something I want you guys to, to hear because... A lot of times we think, well, if we're not good enough, we're not going to get into heaven. Yes, we came to the Lord by, by faith. We believe, we believe in Jesus. But how are we going to get into heaven? Well, we've got to do some good stuff. No, you don't have to do anything. And uh, that's what he's telling us today. So he, he uses Abraham. Verse 7, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. There was no law back in those days. It was if you're following what got Abraham into heaven... It's going to be faith in God, faith in Jesus. Of course, his faith was looking forward to what Jesus would do. Our faith is looking back on what we know Jesus did. He says, verse 8, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Now, he's not talking about the New Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament, over and over again, it's really interesting when you get into Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the scriptures that are pointing towards a faith in Jesus Christ. And you know why it was such a big deal to them? Because they did have the law. And we've related that the last couple of weeks. The law and, and, and the religious law that the Jews had to keep up with was something else. The sacrifices, the, the blood. And, you know, I've toured some slaughterhouses. And I don't know if any of y'all ever have before, but uh, you don't want to tour it very many times. It's really deathly. It smells. Um, you know, if you're not used to that, uh, it's, it's very offsetting to you. And guess what? We have this idea that there in the uh, temple, it was, you know, hallelujah music. It was death. It was tens of thousands of animals getting slaughtered there, cut up, part of the meat going to the priest, part of the meat and the fat and the entrails and all going and being burned. There was smoke in the air. There was blood. Uh, it was not very pretty. You took the blood there at the temple and they sprinkled it on the priest. Okay, so, I mean, you think they, they look like a scene out of Braveheart. You're like, yay, it's church. You know, it was different. So the guys in the Old Testament, when they're looking forward to Jesus, they're going, oh, Come, Lord Jesus, come. We're sick of all of this. We're tired of the sacrifices that don't really do anything. David wrote that. He said, do you really think that God desires sacrifice and blood? He desires a clean heart. David wrote that in the Psalms. They already knew what God was wanting. It was just a picture. So Jesus dying on the cross, it got rid of all that. And Paul's saying, why in the world do we want to go back to those days? I don't. And even today, they're wanting to build their temple yet again. They've bred, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, you've got to have the, the purebred red heifers. Now, I'm in the beef business. That's what I do. So I'm not an expert on genetics. But I do know that you can't take two halves and put it together and make a whole when it comes to genetics, okay? You can't backbreed anything. So in other words, I could take a wolf and I can breed more wolves. I can take a wolf, and with a, with a lot of bad genes in there, we can come to a poodle, okay? If you have a poodle, don't get offended. But a, a poodle is just a very, they're way off down the food chain. Okay, now, you can do that with genetics, but I, you can't take the poodles. You can give me a million poodles, and I can never breed a wolf. Why is that? 
Well, it's, it's descending genetics. I mean, if you study that at all, this is very basic stuff. Well, they bred purebred red heifers that are supposed to go to the altar. And those cattle went out of existence. You know what? Somehow or another, they are working on a project and a program to rebreed purebred red heifers for the temple that's supposed to be there in Jerusalem in the future. And I'm thinking, well, that's pretty awesome. I'm not sure how you're doing that, but that's a lot of genetic work, I'm telling you, to, to do that. Now, why? Why not just believe in Jesus? I mean, I would just say, accept Jesus, go to heaven. But they, they want to get back to those sacrifices because it's their only way to heaven. You see? Um, so it's dangerous, when you when, again, when you start trying to keep the Sabbath, eventually you're over here trying to genetically alter cattle to get to where you can sacrifice it. It leads somewhere, you know. We don't want to do that. He says, uh, verse 8, the scripture, foreseeing God would justify the Gentiles by faith, they foresaw Jesus, preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. I'm glad he said that because that helps me when I read the Old Testament and I see those little sayings in there, you know, that, that uh, God is going to restore Israel or that God is going to save all the nations, like it says here, that he's not talking just about those people back then, but about us today. And so it makes the Old Testament all of a sudden relevant to us today. So then, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Not with believing in Abraham, okay? But he, it's, a, it's a title for him. He's old believing Abraham. In other words, you run into Abraham, you're like, who is that guy? He's a believer. I mean, he believes in some wacky, weird stuff that God's coming one day. Abraham believed so much in God that when God told him to take his only son and take him up on Mount Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice, that he did it. And it says in Hebrews, he did it because, I mean, he went through all the way up into killing him. But he went that far with it because he said he believed that even if he was killed, he would bring him back to life. Why? Because he'd already told Abraham he was going to bless all the nations of the world through him. Without Isaac, how's that going to happen? So he just deduced that even if I kill him, God's got some kind of plan. That's faith. It's faith to live your life, not on what you're doing, but on what God says he will do. And that's the, the only faith I want. I want to just read my Bible and say, I believe literally what God says. And I'll die like that. Look, your faith doesn't save you from death. You die with your faith. So whatever you die with, make sure it's something that's going to carry you through. You will die with your faith. We mix that up. We say our faith will carry us through. Our faith will save us. If I have faith in God, I can move mountains. And you start taking Scripture out of context. He never promised that you're going to be a Jedi Knight, okay? That's not what this is about. Uh, we, we all mix that one up. What he promised us is that the Spirit would be able to wield us. You see, there's the difference. When, when, when you come to the Lord and you have the Spirit in your life, it's not about how good you are, how dedicated you are, how monkish you become. It's not it. How many laws you can keep, how focused you are. How many Instagram posts can you put out there? It's not about all these things, okay? It's, it's, did you put your faith in God and have you died to self and become wieldable by Him? So in other words, your prayer isn't, God, let me use your power to do this. No, it's God, use me to let your power come through. Therefore, it's Him using you, you see. It's a very different concept. And that is what faith in God looks like. It's total surrender. It's going, well, where do you want me? And what do you want me to do? Makes it very easy. So, verse 10. As many are of works of the law are under the curse. So if you're here under your own rules and regulations today, you're under a curse for it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things. Underline that in your Bible. 
in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. What did I tell you out of James? Uh, that's uh, James 2, verse 10. Uh, you've got to keep all the law or you're guilty. It's sort of like, you know, in America's penal code. If you, you know, we said this last week, if you kill one person, but you've done everything else right in life, you're still going to jail. Okay? And you can, that's not a good defense. But I kept all the laws. I never spit on the sidewalk. I always went under 55. I just killed one person. And then I get thrown in jail. The unfairness of it all. Yeah. No, and that's what we do with God. You see, when you're going based on your works, it's like, but I did all these good things, Lord. I did all this in your name. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Ah, it's relationship, you see. Make sure that you know Jesus by believing in him. It's very important. Uh, and if so, if you're under the law today, if you're under your own rules and regulations, that maybe even based out of the Bible and good stuff, some rules are good. They are. And I, I'm, I you know, think it's very commendable that a lot of people are so religious. I, I, I really, truly, I'm proud of you. Um, it's not going to get you into heaven, but I am proud of you. And God might be proud of you, but you're not getting into heaven on his watch either. And so it's a, it's a curse because, and the reason it's a curse is because you start placing your faith in how good you are. You see, your faith starts getting twisted. And so it's really better if you see yourself for what you are. And I'll let you in on a little hint. hint. If you're sitting here this morning and you think, well, I'm really not that bad, God will go out of his way in 2021 to make sure that you realize just how miserable you really are. You know, if you're going through some things in your life right now and you're sort of wondering, why is all this happening to me? It's probably what we would refer to in the Bible as a trial. And what, what do trials do? Well, they test your ship. You know, if you're all familiar with the Navy at all, uh, what they do when they build a brand new ship is they put it through shock trials, okay? So when it's empty, they don't, they don't load it up too full of people. But they take that thing out in the water and they actually detonate explosives to simulate bombs going off, off of the port bow and, you know, on all sides of this thing. Why? To see if it'll hold up. Would you want to go into combat with a ship that as soon as something starts to, you know, blowing up beside it, it starts leaking everywhere? I wouldn't. I would rather go into it tested. Um, and so what is God going to do to you? He's going to put you through the shock trials. He's going to say, all right, well, so you put your faith in me, huh? Well, let's blow some stuff up around you. Let's see if you start leaking. <laughs> and uh, most of us come back like the pipes are leaking. You know, it's bad. And so we start patching those things. Guess what? You go out and do it again until nothing leaks. And so the things that you suffer through, you know, if, and, and this is a good example. If you have a place in your life that's weak, and it always starts leaking every time that something blows up around you, and you don't ever really fix it. You just, you know, let's put some gum on it. Guess what? You're never going to grow and move past that until you actually fix it. And so that's what God's going to do in your lives, but it's not getting you into heaven. It's getting you ready to have the character. What does James say? That the trials that we go through, they build character in us but it doesn't give you a ticket to heaven. You're just going to you're going to enjoy heaven a lot more. Now, I think about this. You know, Moses, he had a terrible life. He got to see God do some magnificent things, but he went through some really hard times. And you know what? I know from the Mount of Transfiguration there in the Gospels that he understood God like no other. He was allowed to show back up there and start talking to Jesus about why he was fixing to die on the cross. He's a mortal man. But you see, because he knew God so much on this earth and his character was so rich and full, he was allowed in heaven to know more. And I do believe that when we get to heaven, there's going to be levels. There's going to be some you know, little children in heaven and they're going to be banging pots and pans. And uh, some of us will show up and go, well, that's cute. You know, that's, that's good for you. But I want to know more. You know, I want somebody to walk up and say, do you know who I am? Like, you're Nahum, aren't you? You know, and I, I want to I know that stuff. 
And I want you guys to know it. So we go through the Bible, but it won't help you get there. Only Jesus' blood. So don't confuse those points. Don't live under your own curse. Verse 11, no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. It's evident. For the just shall live by faith. Um, No true words have ever been spoken. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So, amen for verse 13. Christ looked at everything we've just been talking about, and he said, it's dull. It's really dull to think that we have to live under the law for eternity. I want to free you from that. So he made the gospel extremely simple. If you feel like a failure, good. You are. That's your Christmas message. Um, No, really, though, you, you feel like a failure, that's good. You're supposed to. And you're supposed to turn to Jesus and say, the answer is so simple. I don't have to keep all these rules and regulations. And anything now that I do, I do because I love the Lord. It's no different than for all of you who are in a relationship. If you have a, a uh, spouse, you know, it's not the rules that make you do right. It should be the love. You know, I don't, in other words ever want to cheat on my wife, not because of my feelings for or against someone else. Like, well, I would cheat, but you know, she's just not quite quite who I'd want to cheat with. That that should not be the equation. The only thing that should keep me from that is my love for my spouse. And when it comes to God, it's not that there's not, because that's the argument. Well, that's not such a bad thing, is it? And maybe it is, maybe it's not, but your love for God should compel you to live a certain way. You should look like something. And Paul, that's what he teaches in the Bible. It makes it very, very simple. Now he says in verse 14 here, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Spirit through faith. So when you're, when you're saved, you receive the Spirit into your life, and it's a passive work. You don't do anything, you know. When you got saved, did you feel anything? Probably not, you know. You just believed in Jesus, right? It's a passive work. Did you have to do anything? I hope not. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to just believe in Jesus. And because you do and because you start getting in your word, your life just starts changing. It's, it, it, and if it hasn't, it wasn't as real for you as it should have been. You need to back up. Make sure you put your faith in Jesus. Understand it's all about Jesus. Now, verse 15, brethren, he says, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it's confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So he says, okay. I think Paul even realizes he's he's beating this into the ground. So he says, let me back up and let me look at it from one other way. If any of you people are lawyers here today, I'm really sorry. Um, But what he's talking about here, a man's covenant, it's the last written will of a man. So though it is only a man's covenant or the last written will, like in Roman times, a man's will was a legal binding document, same as it is today, your last will and testament. So Paul is using that as an example. He's saying no one changes the will unless you're crooked, but no one changes uh, the will. So somebody dies, you read it, and you see what their will was. In other words, what they wanted. And uh, you read it as it was written, You whether you agree with it or not, right? And, and if you've ever had family die, you all know that. Yeah, when it's read, there's going to be somebody that goes, yes, I agree, and somebody else that goes, no, I don't agree with that at all. You know, how dare they get that? Um, and so he's saying the same thing for the Bible. It's a testament, a testimony, testament, his last will and testament. That this is, this is God's book saying, this is my will. So after Jesus is gone, this is, this is what I give to you. It's salvation, and it's through Jesus. It's not through anything else. Now he says in verse 16, 
to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So the will was given to them. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but to one, your seed, which is Christ. So he says, it was, a, it was a promise back then, it was made, it's sealed. And this I say, verse 17, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, in a nutshell, what Paul's saying in all of that is to Abraham a promise was given, a last will and testament. God's saying, I am sending Jesus. Just because the Jews showed up and all the rest of that happened, and the Levites and the Old Testament law and Moses, it didn't change what God told Abraham way back in the day, that he was sending Jesus Christ, that he would die on the cross for our sins, and that we could just believe in him by faith. So he's, he's basically saying, take that, Jews. Take that. I'm just going to believe in Jesus, and I don't have to keep up with the kosher law. So then he comes to verse 19, because somebody's always got to ask this. You wonder why this is kind of complicated, the Bible? It's people. See, as he's writing this, God would tell him, hey, you better talk about this, because somebody will ask the question. That's what this verse 19 is. What purpose then does the law serve? So if you say, well, if it was always about faith back in those days, then why, did we, why do we have the law? Where did the Old Testament come from? He says it was added because of transgressions. It was added. In other words, his perfect plan was in the Garden of Eden. We messed it up. Eve, actually, I think, but that's whatever. So it was messed up way back then. And so God had to say, okay, new plan. And that plan from the very beginning was Jesus. From the very beginning it was Jesus, he says. But we've got a lot of time that's going to go by before Jesus shows up. So the law was added because of transgressions, because everybody was messing up so badly. Remember, it didn't take long. Cain, Abel, you know, the murders began and we needed some rules. We needed some law. Everybody always wondered, you know, I remember back, y'all may remember this in the, uh, when was it, the late 90s, when they had the little thing go through the U.S. about getting rid of uh, speed limits, and some states did it. I know up in Montana, they got rid of the speed limits for a while, and guess what? Everybody started driving like a bat out of Hades, you know? I mean, that, so the speed limits came back. I know we lived out west at the time, and so when you drive out towards El Paso, um, and I think they they left some of those limits up, but uh, you can go. Uh, I think it was eighty. I don't know if it's still that way, but um, I mean, you could, which means everybody drives about ninety, ninety-five. Uh, but uh, you know, the, when when that happens, everybody always goes to the limit of the law. I mean, when's the last time you saw somebody you know driving forty-five and a seventy-five, unless their wheels about to fall off? It don't happen. Everybody's going to drive to the limit. So he says, well, we have to have rules. We had to have laws because these people were acting like idiots. So the, it was added till the seed, that's Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Side point, we won't uh, uh, get into that. The idea though in verse 19 is that the law was intended to be a gauge for these people, kind of like a speed limit sign. And it's sort of like a thermometer. You know, when you read the thermometer, you just know it's really cold outside. It doesn't fix it. It doesn't make you warmer, does it? Uh, a mirror. What does a mirror do? You look in it and you just go, man, I'm looking really good today. Or whatever you do, you know. Um, but you look in a mirror, it doesn't make you pretty. Have you ever gone in, you know, magic mirror on the wall, you know, fix me? You know, it doesn't happen. So what is the law? Well, the law is a mirror. You read the Bible and you go, ew, I see something in me I don't like. Uh, it's a thermometer. It goes, I'm cold. I'm heartless. You know, I need, I need help. The law just shows you you need God. That's all it really does. It doesn't fix anything. He says, verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Well, if the law isn't going to fix you, is it against what God's going to do? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, 
So again, it's a mirror. It doesn't fix anything. Truly, righteousness would have been by the law. So he said, well, if it could have fixed you, you wouldn't need Jesus. But it didn't fix anybody. But the Scripture, verse 22, was confined or has confined all under sin. Remember what it says in Romans. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if you think you're outside of that camp, re-look at the word all. We're all in this together. We're all sinners, okay? Uh, Simple concept. So the, the Old Testament can find us all to this sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Once I tell you you're a sinner, and I knew a fellow once who did prison ministry, it's so much easier than y'all, okay? And here's why, real simple. In a church with people that are living in the world, you come in and it's assumed, because you all dress nice and you come, we assume that we're all here because we're wonderful people. And we're just here to encourage one another in life, but you know, really we haven't done anything that bad. But we accepted Jesus nonetheless, and uh, you know, on and on. Well, when you go to prisons, they all sit down. You don't have to tell them they're sinners. They're convicted felons. I mean, they're convicted. They're there because they know they messed up. So you just skip that part. You just go, well, uh, you need Jesus. Yep. And there's a huge uh, turnover rate in the prisons over to Christianity simply because of that. So our prison ministry is such a big thing. Uh, Now, before, verse 23, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. So he says, before Jesus came, this is what the law did. It kind of, it held, it was a speed limit sign. It kept us held, uh, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. They were all looking forward to Jesus. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. So, uh, and that's interesting, uh, word there. The word tutor in the Greek, it means a schoolmaster. So the law was our schoolmaster. So uh, it, it was teaching us the ways of the Lord, but it's a little more than that. In the Greek culture, that word is uh, pedagogose, big word. But what does it mean? It was a slave that was responsible for the children. So a wealthy family may have one of these schoolmaster individuals for each child. The slave would discipline the child, bring the child to and from school. They cared for the child. They taught the child manners. Uh, same, we need one of those today, don't we? Um, and uh, gave the child moral training. The idea is that he would give the child real-life training, not just book learning. So by living through the law... It changed you. It taught you things. I mean, consider this, and we got to hurry up and get to the end here, but we're almost there. Uh, in the Old Testament, they had some, some laws uh, regarding uncleanness. So if you went hunting and touched a dead animal, you had to stay outside of the camp till nightfall. Well, I would say, you know, as a person who's hunted, uh, well, that's stupid. You know, just wash your hands and go in. But what would you think while you're sitting outside the camp all day? Unclean, you know, ceremoniously unclean. You're thinking, I wish there was some way to get around this. This is really ridiculous that I'm having to go through this because I'm now unclean. Just the common things of life would cause you to be unclean. It was a hardship for those people, for the Jews to be under the law. Trust me, I'm not sure why they threw such a fit when Jesus came. I would have been singing hallelujah. Uh, we don't have to do all this anymore. But uh, it, was a, it was a school teacher for them meant to lead us to Christ. Verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. As many of you as were baptized into Christ, well, you've put on Christ. I love that verse. Some people ask, you know, well, if I was baptized, what if, what if you know, the pastor wasn't really with it that day? What if this? What if that? It has nothing to do with anything but Jesus. It, it's your faith in the Lord. It's between you and Him. You know, it's like uh, people getting saved. And people have asked me, and we've got so many new people in the church these days, um, that it's, well, it's worth going through, you know, occasionally. But people have asked if, if we 
have you to be baptized into this church. And we don't. We don't do that. You're baptized into the church. In other words, the church around the world, Jesus' church, uh, a member of the church. But we don't, you're, you don't need to become a member here. You're a member of our little church here, you know, locally, if you attend. And we're glad to have you. But I love to be free with the Spirit. So if the Lord leads you here, we're glad to have you. And if the Lord leads you away, we'll pray for you and kick you out the door. But uh, no, really, I mean, we just we want to keep the main things the main things and don't get focused on the, the you know, rules, regulations. But I love verse 27. If you're baptized into Christ, well, then you've put on Christ. There's not a bunch of rules and fancy regulations regarding those things. Um, and verse 26, you are all sons of God. That's a statement. You're a son of God through faith. So don't let anybody tell you it's about the things that you've done wrong or the things you're doing right. A lot of people fall into the trap of ministry. I know pastors who got saved years after they started pastoring. And it's because they started pastoring because of guilt. I've got to do good things in order for God to love me. God loves you just like you are. It says he loved you before you were even born. God loves you. It's not based on what you've done or haven't done. I love that. And then, you know, this, this verse could get us into hot water these days, but I'm really glad that he wrote this. This is 2,000 years old. He says... There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, this is talking about in faith. It's not about your religious affiliation. I would add to that, Jew or Greek, today it would be there's neither Baptist or Methodist, Lutheran or Presbyterian, but we're all one. You see, it, it, there's, there's things we can look at today. He says there's neither slave nor free. So in the world... Certain countries, they may have slavery. They may not in others. It's illegal in our country. But in Christian culture, there is neither slave nor free. When you belong to Jesus Christ, there is none of those uh, identifying marks. There's neither male nor female. In other words, and that's an interesting point. When you stand before the Lord, you don't stand there because... If you're a spouse, a lot of ladies confuse this. They say in the church, oh, well, my husband, I, I'll just stand behind him. It says you each stand on your own before the Lord. We're responsible for how we live our lives here, but when you stand before God one day, you will stand before him on your own. You have to accept Jesus. You know, I used to tell my kids this. Just because somebody gets into my car doesn't make them part of my family. In fact, it could be kind of weird. Um, but... Um, you know, just because you come to church and sit here doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your husband or your wife is saved doesn't make you. We each have to accept Jesus Christ. I think that's a good thing. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, he says. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so, you know, I guess as I look around the church today, I see all of you guys, and you're different. We're all different. We all come from different states, different cultures. We're men, we're women, different backgrounds. We've even got different church backgrounds all in our little church here. But we're all one in Jesus Christ. And we can set aside all the rest of that. This year has been a strange year. Um, and we've been asked these questions, interesting enough. Well, what makes you better than somebody else? And we've been challenged in our culture today. Um, the blacks versus whites. We've got all kinds of ethnic group issues. Funny that we didn't have them used to, but now this year we do. Um, all of this stuff is rising. And, and I've been asked and even challenged this year, well, as a pastor, are you going to step into that? And, you know, the fleshly part of me wants to real bad. I can mean to, you know. But um, I have decided not to. And it's because of verses like this. According to Jesus, there is neither Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter about the people groups. What's wrong in the world today? Well, I can philosophize all day long, but it's real simple. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. And without Jesus, 
the problems that we have in our country today will not be solved because people keep trying to solve them in their own strength. And so be encouraged this next year to share Jesus, to demonstrate Jesus in your life, and, uh, and hold on to freedoms. And, you know, I keep teasing you guys about all these rules and regulations, and you notice I don't really give you any answers because I've been asked now the last two weeks, well, what do you think about drinking? Well, some people can drink more than others is what I think. But, um, you know, I, I refrain from really diving into that. Why? Because it's something that you need to go to the Lord and decide what has He told you to do. And I don't want to make it a point of contention. I've had times in my life when I did drink, times when I did not, okay? Um, as a pastor, I don't drink, and it's, it's not based on a right or a wrong. It's based on a rule of love. And that is, is that I never know when the next Sunday that somebody's going to come into my life that is struggling really hard with alcohol. And I personally want to be as good of an example as I can to them as somebody that, that used to drink some to be able to say, you know what, I'm not at this point in my life. The Lord kind of freed me from, from that and having to worry about it. And I don't do it as a point of contention. And I'm not mad if you do drink. I've got a lot of friends that do. and uh, But I do it so that I can talk to you on the basis of, uh, in, of encouragement and uh, an example because there's some people in this world that that truly they struggle they struggle really really hard and it ruins their life so if you're somebody that can handle it great again pray see what god wants to do i will not tell people and preach against i will preach for jesus christ and i'm not going to preach this year or next against the ethnic issues i'm not going to preach against all of the other issues we got going on biden versus trump and all of it I'm a, I have opinions too, but uh, opinions don't necessarily point people to Jesus. And so in church, I'm going to say, let's talk about Jesus Christ. And uh, all these other issues will be solved. Amen. Amen. You guys this week, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. As I say every year, remember Jesus. It's a great time of the year. I'm not even going to say it's all about Jesus. It's very commercialized these days. However, um, it's a great time to tell all the people that are around your lives about Jesus. And um, so use it. And uh, we will see y'all again next time. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for this chapter three, though it is, it is wordy, the simple truth, Lord, of uh, living our lives based on this faith in you and only faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we look at ourselves and see that the, the rules maybe we place on ourselves, the rules of the church, uh, rules of religion, Lord, that none of it amounts to a hill of beans, Lord, uh, that we have to continually come back to the foot of the cross, put our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we demonstrate that in our lives and our families this week, especially this week, as we're around others, Lord, and may we be the light of the world as you've asked us to be. We love you, Lord, and until you bring us together, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, protect, that you would lead, and that you would guide your church, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.